Okay, 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 okay. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Love you all. Let's pray the baby Jesus. It's Advent 3. Prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, the Lord comes with might. Isaiah 40. O Lord, accept our prayers and our supplications and grant us to heed the call of John to prepare the way for your Son. And let us receive him into our hearts that we become your own children through Christ our Lord. Amen. Great to see you. Uh, you know, this is just a fantastic time of year at St. John. Christmas sharing was unbelievably great. I, really, I, it's, about the happiest, it's about the happiest I can get at St. John outside the Eucharist. Of 700 people and 151 families is the early count. That'll translate, I'm thinking, into thirty or forty or $50,000 that you gave away over the weekend. So, uh, because it was about $40,000 last year with... I think probably, you know, 10%, 15% fewer people. So it was a really, really good weekend. Well played. And uh, what's that? About 20 less families. 20 less families, yeah. So about 20 more this year. So we went from 130 to 150, and we went from five or 500 to 700, something like that. So anyway, it was a really great weekend. Thank you for that. Okay, pat yourself on the back as you reach for your wallet. And... Uh, <laughs> Put money into the basket for Grace School. So we always do two things around Christmas. We do Christmas sharing for the community here. Then we do Grace School. They are slated to come out and make you breakfast on, help me, January 4 or January 11? They'll be here January 11 to make you breakfast. So we'll want to make sure that we have all our um, presents wrapped up. There is this thing downstairs where you grab the tag and you buy the gift and you bring it back. So we'll do that again, and that'll be, that'll be very, very nice. You know, if you can give them five or ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars and stuff and send them on their way. Those timetables, this junior thing. So uh, have fun with that, okay? And then, well, Bible study today, I think we'll probably go next week. Then we'll take a few weeks off and figure things out. We will have a time and talent fair just to kind of display what's happening at St. John, but I think we're going to push that out to the weekend of the men's retreat because we'll have a guest pastor here and then he won't need to preach or teach Bible study. I think that'll work the best. So probably in February, it's been in January in the past, look for that in February. Okay, uh, if you're going to Italy, now's the time. The guy's starting to call me and say how many people are going. So kind of now's the time. Here we go. If you want to go uh, have a little fun with Arthur and, and I and Kirby and Linda, let's see, what else do we need to do? Remember, there's a concert today at 3 o'clock. Come for that if you like. It's a bit of an experiment. We haven't done that here before. But Peter's done a great job. It's been zero work for, for us, so we are grateful about that. And we'll work in the space and see how that goes. You can buy tickets at the door with cash or credit card. Tickets at the door, cash or credit card. 25 bucks, right? 15 if you're a student. 15 if you're a student. Bring your old student ID. <laughs> Right, it's all good. All right, so it's all good. So we've been uh, we've been apart for a couple of weeks. I want to see if I can uh, pull a couple of things together that I didn't touch on, but should be fairly fairly easy. Questions about anything? That's all we're going here. I mean, you're the absolute best. This morning, great service at at the early service. It was fantastic. It's been a great weekend. Thanks a lot. Just keep going. Remember Christmas time. Remember the drill. If we have an evening service, it's at seven. If we have a daytime service, it's at 10, so you roll out on Christmas Day, it'll be at 10. Christmas Eve, it'll be 7. There's also lessons and carols at 4, an extra service.
for your, for, especially for friends who aren't churched, completely, you know, it couldn't be more friendly. It's just Christmas carols and readings from texts. It's sort of King's College-ish lessons and carols, okay? All right, so a couple of things. It's been interesting just to observe what we've been doing over the course of the time. You know, the basic rubric has been don't be a dork. Uh, and you're observing that very, very well. There's been a marked dorkdom decrease at St. John over the past. It's something like 17 or 18% less dorkable uh, behavior since we began this. So part of the problem is, is in the generation where I grew up, if you wanted to make a good Christian, you would identify a suspect. You would grab them by the collars and you would shake vigorously until they gave you what you wanted. Um, of course, we've discovered now that this makes people more angry than loving. And so there might be another way to think about the world. And in fact, you very rarely saw Jesus do that to anybody. Jesus very rarely got angry. And when he was angry, he was most angry at church people. Okay? So you just kind of bear that in mind. Instead, what you see in the person of Jesus is he sort of moves along. He's very kind. He gives people often what they want. But beyond that, he gives them what they need. It's very clear that Jesus is giving people what they need in order to let them be fully human. And that, you see, is the catch. If you want to say to people why you should be Christian, now you're going to have to work at this a little bit, but if you had to say it in a sentence, I would say because it's good for you. People will argue all about what's good for you and all the ills, you know, uh, all the ills of, of, you know, Christianity, which is in fact true because there's people in the church and they do stupid stuff. But every other human institution is stupid too. So it all just comes, comes out in the wash, okay? Uh, the church has done wonderful, wonderful things. It's going to be very interesting now as the church moves to a minority culture, especially in, the, in America. It may turn out to be an advantage to us if we're capable of defining ourselves and not being defined. So one of the things that hurts the church is people who claim to be Christians and act like dorks, okay? Do horrible things in the name of Jesus, okay? If that's sort of swept away, if that nominal use of Christianity is sort of pushed aside, perhaps it'll give us an opening to really act like Christians. That may be painful at times, but it will be true. So we've talked about, you know, how to engage people. Your early returns uh, on a, you know, it's been a trickle, but it's been an interesting thing that's come back over and over again, which has been worry about two things, fear and anger. That is, you begin to talk about Jesus and people get angry with you, or you're afraid you might not be able to finish the conversation. And I want to talk about those two things. What I tried to do last time when I talked to you was to say, you, know, you don't need to go to law school to have an opinion about politics, maybe to have an informed opinion, but you know, not to, people have opinions about all, all kinds of guys who didn't play football, you know, think they know what to do, right? <laughs> I mean, in every venue, people, there's all kinds of people who have figured out what the fo- Fed policy should be going forward, given you know, everything that's happening. So I, would, I wouldn't hold yourself to too high a standard. I can say that because we're in a community where you're pretty smart and you work at it pretty hard. You're here on Sunday morning for an extra hour. So what I want to say to you is you want to be informed far enough that you can be helpful, but you can always refer somewhere else. People refer all the time, and you should. But you can at least start the conversation or, as the text says, give a defense for... Uh, the belief that's in you. And I gave you that long text. It's a beautiful text about how you should treat people. I was going to read it, but we started a little late, so maybe I won't read it. Maybe we'll finish with it if we get there. I just want to talk about two things. I want to talk about anger, and I want to talk about um, fear today. So, um, 
Let's do anger first because it's a bit easier, okay? I gave you uh, the I gave you the, the the one page. I just I didn't recopy all of the previous one, but I gave you one page that kind of looks like this. What'll happen as you go through life? One of the predominant it's very interesting. You get up and watch the news in the morning. The predominant emotion right now is anger. And it has been anger for some years. It's not just with all the recent political things that have happened, but anger is a, is a predominant emotion. Now, we spent months talking about this one time two or three years ago, but I just want to take you through the short course about if you feel angry or if you bump into people who are angry. At, at bottom, you know, half the people I bump into have some interest in the church or who I bump into in the church are really deeply angry about something and another. Okay, so it's very interesting to try to sort out what that is. In one sense, I'm going to give you this, and I wrote all this out a couple of years ago. If you actually really wanted it, I could go back and find you the printout. But it kind of, the world kind of works like this. <clears throat> the Bible does talk about righteous anger, but I've hardly known. In fact, I don't know anybody who can do it because we're so self-interested. You know, I love myself more than I love any of you, and I love myself more than I love the baby Jesus. That's the definition of pride, and it breaks the first commandment, and it's the only sin, okay? And because of that, you know, it's very hard for me to be righteously angry with somebody else. So check yourself if you're righteously angry. You remember the biblical uh, strictures on anger, which is it has the shelf life of manna. It can last the day. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if you have righteous, if you have anger, it should be righteous anger. That said, anger has a valuable thing. And this is where you can listen in people. And people often present as anger. Now, here's the thing. Anger disguises itself as complaint. Sometimes it disguises itself as pain. Sometimes it disguises itself as the opposite. So, for example, you know, I can make any eighth grade boy cry within 60 seconds. Even though eighth grade boys present themselves as, you know, full of bravado, right? Because sometimes people present in a way that masks the pain that's within them and the insecurity. But we talked about this. The way to be kind to people, one of the ways to be kind to people is to be present to them, to be with them, and to listen. And one of the things you listen for is why people are so angry. Why is that? The first benefit of anger is that anger tells you what you value. So if you listen to people and you listen to what they're angry about, they are telling you what is important to them. And if you listen to that, it's much more helpful than down the line as you try to help move them out of anger. Anger is acidic, and anger will eat you alive if you let it go. Physically, emotionally, mentally, it will eat you alive if you let it be unchecked, especially if you stoke it. People who pick anger as a tactic do not, they do no favors to the people that they serve. Okay? So there is righteous anger. It's very limited. You have to be very careful with it. Anger can be valuable because it tells you what you value or, and now I'll say the more common thing, it tells you where somebody is wounded. So we move through life, and life is very difficult. Sometimes we do really stupid, stupid things. And if you listen to people, even as they complain, you will find that often their wounds are self-inflicted. Just go home and watch, listen to the news tonight. I'm not referring to anything particular. I'm talking, go home and just listen for an hour to people on the news about what they complain about. Often when they're blaming somebody else, they should be blaming themselves. For you and I, 
Many of our wounds are self-inflicted. That doesn't mean we don't help people. That doesn't mean we don't recognize it. But many, many wounds are self-inflicted. Just observe that. There are also people who are just innocent bystanders. The guy on the street in Chicago this week, you know. He's just... He works at a fire extinguisher company. He's changing fire extinguishers. He's walking down a sidewalk and he gets shot in the back of the head because one guy is shooting at another guy, right? There should be, and there is, I'm sure, deep anger in that guy's family. He's just wrong place, wrong time, and he's wounded by an evil visited upon him. Many of the things that happen to us in life are, in fact, you're, man, you're just walking down the street. You know, you, it, just is, it just is what it is. Life is very, very difficult. We understand that. That's another reason for anger. So one reason is your self-inflicted wounds. Sometimes you just get dinged. Another thing is if you put people in extraordinarily stressful situations for a very long time, it wounds them. So the easiest thing by far there is people who go to war. They come back and they're dinged. Or people who struggle with chronic illnesses. They suffer in a way and often have an anger that many of us could not understand, which leads me to another thing. Just as an aside, you know, I know that it's completely incorrect to say, I know how you feel. And in fact, you never actually know exactly how somebody else feels, but that's been pushed far too far. Human beings, there's an analogy between human beings. When somebody near to us whom we love dies, for example, we do feel something similar to other people. It's the reason there are support groups. It's the reason you find other people to talk to. It's the reason if your kid is on drugs, you go to a group for mothers whose kids are on drugs. Because there is an analogy between our pain. So people do value that in you. You know, you probably don't want to say, I know exactly how you feel. You don't know exactly how people feel. But in general, human beings are constructed in, in, a, in a similar way. And in some sense, it's disrespectful to other people to suggest that your pain is completely a one-off. Because otherwise, you treat other people as if they're less than you. It's very easy to get to that. When, when you say you can never understand, well, you can partially understand. So here's the thing. In one reason, for one, if, you go to some, if you meet somebody who's angry, what you find out is they're often wounded. And if you stick around with them long enough, um, you usually find out what the wound is like. So I'm across the first two on the yellow stick, evil and anger. Now we talked about this. People have to do something with their anger. You have to do something with it because it's alive, it's active, it's painful, it's motivating, it's acidic, it's, it's going to spill out. And sometimes people poke it for their own advantages. You know? There's a couple of ways you can do this. You can ask that everything be squared up. You know, this is what's the thing. This is the thing about the call for justice, which is extraordinarily important. But perfect justice means everybody dies. So I remind you when I went to Russia, and we I took money from you guys, and there's an official place where you change money. And then, lo to my surprise, the pastors are changing money on the street because the the official rate for the ruble is, you know, they know a guy. So they say, you know, we're going over, they said, like, you sit on this bench and we're going to go over here. Don't talk to anybody. Believe me, I had no interest in talking to anybody. <laughs> and then I asked them later, because to me this seems a little bit shady. You're, you're changing money on the street, although far be it for me to endorse the Putin government. So I'm sort of saying, you know, why are you doing this? And they, they kind of laughed a little bit, and they said, you have to understand our culture. They, they, said, they gave me this example. They said, under Russian law, if we, paid all, if we followed all the rules and paid all the taxes required of us, 
everybody in Russia would pay 117% of their income in taxes. Okay, so what does that do? That criminalizes every person in Russia. It makes every person in Russia subject to, to arrest at any moment of the day. Really an interesting strategy to deal with people, right? You make everybody a criminal. You make it impossible for them not to be a criminal. You know, it's a bent sword of justice. So you have to think about that. You have to think about it. If you really, really want justice, I would suggest that you be careful. Because if you really, really want justice, if you want it for everybody, including yourself, now switch from the political scheme to the divine scheme. If you really, really want the person who hurt you to be destroyed, if you want everybody to pay up for what they've done, if everybody's accountable and every last, you know, jot is to be made and tittle to be counted, okay, if that's what you want, okay, you're going to look around someday and everybody's going to be dead, including you, for this simple reason. You're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. What I would suggest to you is that the church's way is mercy, regularly. You listen to the readings for today. The Messiah will come and he will bring justice. There was that beautiful thing in the psalm a couple of weeks ago that got it exactly right where it said, the psalm we sang, that Peter sang, said, and justice and peace shall kiss. It was, a, it was a glorious psalm. It's wonderful, right? That's the day you're waiting for, when justice and peace kiss. When justice doesn't mean destroying people, but justice means peace because everyone is valued equally and everything is fair. That's what Christians mean when they talk about heaven. Okay, so now, so now slowly, here we go. Around Christmas, there's a lot of angry people. My suggestion to you is that you don't react to those people, but you listen. When you listen, you will eventually find out that they are wounded by some evil, maybe self-inflicted, maybe not. It doesn't really matter that much to you. The church doesn't really... De we just help people who are angry, okay? You can get a solution that's perfectly just, but at the end of the day, everybody's going to be dead. You have been around me long enough to know that I'm not saying, you know, I'm not for anarchy and I think that things order needs to be enforced. I'm just saying, if you seek perfect justice, everybody's dead. What I'm arguing now for you is to be more merciful as a human being. And this, you see, will be the witness to Christ in the church. When the church is known as people who are merciful. So, um, you know, Christmas sharing is a great example. I mean, I talked to a lot of people at Christmas sharing who came through the door. We had single moms, we had drug abusers, we had alcoholics, we had people who couldn't keep a job. It's amazing what people will tell you. Okay? Now, you can either stand at the door as you check them in and you can do this to them, or you can just tell them that you love them and give them some stuff that makes their life a little brighter. The church has been known to do both. The glory of Christmas sharing here is that everybody, that nobody cared about that. The, the, thing, the primary thing was mercy. It's a remarkable thing. I probably had a dozen people ask me in some form or another, is this a church? When do you meet and what do you do here? Okay? And there was a family here this morning or two or three that I've already kind of noticed who I saw go through, right? So my point to you is, this is all toward witness to Christ. This is what a witness to Christ looks for. Be kind to people. Be merciful to people. People are angry. People are hurt. Evil has come. A lot of people demand justice. Injustice, somebody is always pushed down, locked up, put away, bound in some way, oppressed. Instead, you're the person who can be merciful. Here's the thing. That disadvantages you in many, many cases. Jesus is the primary 
example of that. Come down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. The primary temptation. It's on Peter's lips when at the tra- after the transfiguration. You'll never go to the cross. It's on Jesus' own lips in the Garden of Gethsemane. If this cup can pass for me, show me another way. It's on the lips of the people who deride him at, at, at Golgotha. If you're the Son of God, come down. There's always the temptation to power, to oppression, to squaring things up in the way of pain, to destroying other people. Now I will let you do you know, the calculus of what's happening in the world with religions who cut people's heads off rather than forgive them. It's very poignant that John the Baptist got his head cut off. That probably means more to you this Advent than it did last Advent, given what we've been through. right? So you will be disadvantaged by being merciful. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you emotion. Very hard not to be angry with family and friends, with strangers, with people. You go to Christmas and they're the same idiot they were last year. Yeah. Ooh, a little too close? Sorry. So, uh, but I would suggest to you, you know, mercy is the way of Jesus. And someday, and this is just about, I'm just about to say now, where you can open your hands and let the chips fall where they fall. After you've been merciful, it's not your business. It's just not your business. It's going to be painful for you. Now, this is good because pain breaks our idols. It smashes our idols. We learn things through pain that we can't learn any other way. Painful things teach us things that cannot be learned any other way. But after the mercy point, you sort of open your hands and the Lord does what he does. So this is very different than trying to go in for the, for, for, for the sale, right? To go in for the kill. This is very different. All the stories that we're reading have this simple theme. People are in some way in trouble. If you get close to them, sometimes the trouble icks out on you. That can be painful for you, but be merciful and then let the little baby Jesus sort it out. And when the little baby Jesus sorts it out, he'll do a better job than you will. And this is why people can live in hope. Even though people are horrible, even though the world is broken, the reason we live in hope is because it's just a simple sentence. We actually believe that Jesus is going to sort it all out and he's going to sort it all out better than we could. At some point, he's going to put a period on the end of the sentence, and heaven will be restored. And so the only thing I've ever said to you is that there's one story in Scripture, that we're going from death to resurrection, that we're going from death to life, and along the way, we live in the image of Jesus. I guarantee you, if we live in the image of Jesus, the church will flourish. I don't know what it'll look like. You know, I don't know, I don't know, you know, denominations, you know, here, there. I don't have any idea about that. All I know is that I'm supposed to be merciful. All I know is that you and I are meant to live in the image of Christ. That's all I know. I do what Christians do. You do what Christians do. And Jesus sorts it out. That's the church. You do not sort it out. You say your prayers, you read your text, you go to the Eucharist. You stand by people who are wounded. It's messy, it's painful, it's exhausting, it's exasperating. When that happens, you have one of two choices. You can either beat them down or you can lift them up. You can demand justice or you can be merciful. Jesus chooses mercy in every case. And then the church is the church. I know you're finishers.
I know you like to close a sale. I know you're successful. I know you're driving to the goal. I know you like to win. Welcome to Wheaton, right? But in this particular place, you live with open hands. You do the right thing, and Jesus knits it all together for our good. Okay? So when, this is, I mean, that's a long thing, but I tried to give it to you on one post-it note. It's just on one, that's all you got to remember is one post-it note. When you bump into an angry person this Christmas, my suggestion to you is just be calm, listen, be merciful, and be confident that the baby Jesus will sort it out. Okay? So that's maybe the easier one because that's actually kind of, you know, one that you just, it just involves loving people and it doesn't take, nobody's going to say to you, well, you don't know much about love, or maybe they will, but it won't stick if they do. Okay, make sense? So if you bump into angry people, and you have to just sort of, I mean, you're a pretty bright group. You, the, what, you, what you need to do is kind of keep this, this, uh, this model in your head. You just have to kind of know. It's a little like I drew you the big map of the world. I've got to have a map of the world in one page because I've got to remember you know, what I'm doing. I don't want to lose my way. In the same way, this is your map for dealing with angry people. It basically means stick in there and be kind and let Jesus finish it up. Okay, you okay? Does that make sense? You remember that? Right? You got a question about any of that? Okay, yes. I just want to say that it's here just saying to be merciful. There's a person in me says, well, I just can't. Oh, actually, actually, I know you, and let me just say that you can. No, no. (laughs) No, but what I'm saying is, it took me a really long time. I feel so dumb to admit that I, I feel like I couldn't do it because I try so hard. Yeah, right. And I, I realize <clears throat> I just never asked. You been to church yet? No, I, yes. The sermon this morning, I right? Didn't ask. <laughs> I didn't ask. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm an old man. I'm just about dead, for goodness sakes. Uh, look how long it's taken me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. See, here's the. And then he does it. it. I've quoted to you before the. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, The last great cosmologist of the 20th century said the only simplicity to be trusted is the simplicity beyond complexity. And I've observed this normally in human beings, which is you you run around the kids today, they're very simple, and everybody knows what's cooking, right? Then we grow up, right? But then at some point you get to Dave Dorn's age. (laughs) And I don't know, if you've talked to Mrs. Dorn, living with Dave is like living heaven on earth. I mean, that's how she talks about it, am I right? There you go, way to play along. So um, (laughs) what happens is, is you come to a point in your life where you sort of say, it's all so clear again, right? It's all so clear again. One of the interesting things about, I mean, I love you. If you're between the age of 25 and 45, I love you, but I'm going to swear at you right now, so get ready, okay? One of the things you see in a young congregation is you see among the young parents and the young adults the complexities of life increasing at an exponential rate, right? So 16, 17, 18, things are still pretty simple. Wow, guess what? Go to college, pay the bills, get married, have a couple of kids, 
strutzels. And uh, <laughs> then suddenly, man, you got a lot on your plate, right? So what you see is in parent, and you get distracted, and you can't pay attention, and you're exhausted all the time. When you're exhausted, it's hard to be on your game. When you're not on your game, you get cranky. When you're cranky, you want justice, you don't want murder, right? But you come to a particular age, so this is the, why, the, why the scripture talks about the glory of old age. You come to a particular age, and some of the complexity drops away. Part of it is because some things that were important before just aren't important anymore, right? And you also, in yourself now, over the years, discover resources you didn't have. My guess is if we sat down and talked about this, there's probably been things in your life where the resources have developed through the pain of your own life and the experience of your own life. So you shouldn't be too hard on yourself because maybe, maybe what I would say to you is it wasn't just that you had not because you asked not. Maybe you asked and they developed over time. And probably the bigger point is that you had the resources now. So what I would just say to you is just, just try to be merciful. People can, it's the sermon this morning, you can regret your past all you want. It's not very helpful. And part of the promise is, is that the Lord even knits together your bad stuff to make good stuff, right? I mean, you're, you can be stupid all you want, right? But part of being Christian is you can be really stupid and the Lord will still sort of factor your stupidity in and the sausage that comes out the other end will still be edible, right? <laughs> I grew up in Iowa, more pigs than people. I, I mean, I read the jungle when I was young. Hey, sweep that blue stuff up and put it in there. Okay, so, yes. Really quick, on the, on the, the post-it, the, the concept of right is something that's not absolute in many cases. And so a lot of the anger and the fact that there's a disagreement on what is right and what is not right. Yeah, um... Yeah, the dip. so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell you in advance. There's seven minutes left. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to do the other side of the page about suffering, which is the more difficult thing. We'll do that next week, because I want to talk about resetting the intellectual conversation. I just want to, I'll spend the last seven minutes with you talking about just this, because it is so common. So I see your right, and I raise you to truth, okay? So really the interesting thing is, is now, and I, you know, I'm, I almost dare not go here, because... Uh, it's a sensitive topic for a white male, but I'm going to just I'm just going to sort of dip my toe in the water here. Um, not only right, one of the difficulties is also truth. And then we had truthy a few years ago that that was so interesting, right? Um, and then what we've watched kind of happen in America over the past couple of months. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're white folk, you need to be very very careful because. I had, I had lunch with an African-American professor from Wheaton College this week, and we talked about this, you know, what's happening very gently. Um, I tried to learn some stuff from him. He's a good guy. Um, let's see, how do you say this now? We, people should just be careful on all sides, because here's the thing. Um, things do teach us lessons, but lessons become broad and not specific. Um, you know, the disagreement over what's happened in America over the past few months in several situations has been uh, almost lost. Gosh, this is so dangerous to talk about. In the demand for, you know, I want to say justice here, but I'm also not confident about the definition of justice for in, a di in a lot of different directions, okay? 
So let me just say that what I observe is that you got to hear this in the right way, in a very gentle way. Probably not in the way I'm going to say this in a way you probably don't think. It's not going to mean what you say. And I'm not taking a side here, okay? And I'm not defending anything either. I'm going to just tell you, over the course of my life, what I've learned, starting with academia, is that facts don't matter. And there's been a will to power in politics and academia over the past half century, maybe longer, that is now manifesting itself on a broad on a broad scale, where power, where who's in power matters more than basic things like what's true and what's right. Okay. I'm. You need to hear me clearly. I am not taking a side on anything in any direction. What I'm taking a side on is that truth matters because it's very difficult to accuse people of things. Uh, based on an ideology or, or a metaphor. If you do that, you get fascist very quickly in any direction. Right? The genius of America is the people, one of the genius things of America is that people can actually say really stupid stuff. If you do really stupid stuff and you wound somebody else, you know, and you can do that sometimes with words as well. But I think the, tr- the church may be the one, it's going to be very interesting when the church becomes a minority culture over the next century, let's say in America. It's going to be very interesting whether the church has the stamina to talk about what is true okay, and what's right. And it's not always going to look like what we think it looks like. okay. And we're going to need to be able to say that in many directions whether people are in power or out of power, whether their skin is white or whether their skin is black. Um, You're in a unique position, you all, if you can reframe the conversation in terms of mercy. My, my, My worst, my, you know, my worst... One of the worst things, one of, the, one of my saddest things over the weekend, I, I love California, I love it because it's so open, one of, one of the saddest things I read, and I don't, I'm not saying this for you to ooh and ah, I'm just, just kind of saying, I read about a protest, it was in Berkeley, it's fairly peaceful, somebody broke a window, another protester said, don't break a window, we don't break people's stuff, and the guy who broke the window, you know, took his hammer out and beat the other protester with it, okay? Now here's the thing, I'm not saying that to you for effect, I'm just saying... There are all kinds of protesters. And if you lump all people, all people together, if you lump all white people together, if you lump all black people together, if you lump all protesters together, if you lump everybody together, you're not thinking clearly. What you're probably doing is trying to stir something up so, and this is the important thing, you get your way, which is to love yourself more than other people. All mixed up in this is what truth means, what righteousness means, what power means, um, what people's Perspectives means what their histories means. It's a complex situation, friends. And um, mercy is the way out. And mercy is very, very careful with other people, right? Especially wounded people. And now hear me. People get wounded on all sides, from all cultures, in all colors. Sometimes wounds are very, very long. The church has to think carefully about that. One of the, but I will say one of the troubles is, is that people, when there is no longer a thing as truth, There's no longer a thing as fact. There is no longer a thing as right. Or basically, right is whatever I can exert. And I'll tell you, my own, one of the reasons I chose to be a pastor and not to be in academics is there's nobody nobody more blind, one-sided, and will to power than academics. A bad academic is a bad person. 
the worst people I've met in my, in my life, the very worst people I've worst met in my life are professional theologians. Some of the best people I've ever met are professional theologians as well. But people who, who spend their time all day thinking about evil, when they go evil, it's really easy for them, and they're really good at it, right? And it always starts in academia, and it dribbles down because you send your kids to college, and we get a big dose of it, and we go out and blah, 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 and that's our mindset, and that's how we go forward, okay? So this has been percolating for 50 or 100 years. I just want to say, y'all should just be very careful. You should always remember first that you belong to Christ and people around you belong to Christ. And mercy is the way to engage those people. Okay, mercy is the way for the church. There are other people. This is one of the genius things of Lutheranism, the notion that we're in the mercy business and the president or the congress or the governor or the police or somebody else are in the justice business. We're in the mercy business. Of course, we advocate for justice. Of course we do, because when we don't, when things are basically unfair and people are unrighteous, people get hurt. And it robs people of the dignity which we believe that God created and put into people, right? So we just need to be, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, just be extraordinarily careful when you do this. But see, we've been doing this for eight weeks, so you're ready to go. You're calm. You listen. I mean, listen to people's experience. Let them tell you why they're hurt. Try to figure out what the evil is that's been done. You know, try to figure out how you can solve that. Try to figure out how you can do that without making more hurt and how it can go to healing. I'll tell you the single thing to watch out for, the single thing, is the first commandment sin, which is the will to power. That I'm more important than you, that my way is more right than your way, and if I can find a way to diminish you, incapacitate you, destroy you, oppress you, then I will do it. That is not the way of Jesus. Okay? In fact, Jesus is just the opposite. On the cross, Jesus lets himself, you know, sham trial, innocent victim, and off to death. And the end of that, of course, then is resurrection. See, that's the end of the sticky note, which is the Lord is going to sort it out. So just be very careful. Be careful what you post. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you forward. Be careful about your conversations. Just be very careful because you're dealing with real people in all directions. Um, the good news is there's still a lot of good people in the world. But I will say that the notion of truth, righteousness, facts, justice, those things are all obscured right now by people who take advantage of the moment to advance themselves and not to look for something objective. The great thing about the church is we do actually have objective definitions for all those things, okay? So this is very difficult to talk about uh, without, without having an awful lot of time, but you should have enough basic stuff from being in church here to make it through, right? Watch for evil. Be patient. Don't wound other people. Don't advance yourself. Be merciful. Promote order and justice, of course. But know that whatever happens, Jesus will work it out. Question about anything about that? Now, I'm always reluctant to go too far afield, but sometimes we should talk about stuff. All right, good. So here's what I want to do next week then. Now, I didn't know that that would take this long, so here's what I want to do. If you take that Simone Weil quote home, Jewish woman, um, I think she converted to Christianity, you have it on the one page. It was also in the outline. I want to talk about the intellectual reset and, and why you don't need to be afraid to engage intellectually. 
basically what I'm going to say to you is, this is a great example of doing it, and here's the thing. You shouldn't ask me for, for, for legal advice because I'm not a lawyer. I know a couple of things, but that's what I know. That's okay because at some point I'm going to say to you, I'm not a lawyer. You shouldn't ask me about you know, your, your dental work. You shouldn't ask me how to fix your car. Rich Ren does that. You should ask me to take the dent. I can't do that, right? There's some things I know about. There's a very few things I'm good at, but that's the same for all of you. So the po but that doesn't mean I have to be embarrassed about the rest of my life because I know enough to just get started, to stay in the conversation. But after that, I, I refer to an expert. That's exactly what you should do when it comes to Jesus. You know enough to be in the conversation, and you know enough, you know, you can have an opinion, and then you can, then you can stop. And that quote from Simone Van's suffering is one of the ways, I, I think it's a genius little bit reset, because one of the questions that people always ask is, well, if God was there, why do people, I'm like, you aren't, well, see now, I was going to be unkind there, <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm going to try to be quiet and reset. All right, I love you. Go to church. I'll see you next week, and then we'll take a couple weeks off. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you soon.